Welcome to Starting Nowhere, I'm your host Brandon. Do me a favor and like and subscribe so you can see more Starting Nowhere. Today I have a very exciting episode and my guest is Justin Atherton. Justin is a lifelong police officer who's going to come and share his perspective on some of the recent events that have happened involving police officers, as well as talk about what he has learned over his career. In the end, we're going to get to how he built his training seminar off of everything that he has learned through his career and his life. Please enjoy today's episode. So welcome today, Justin. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. I appreciate you having me on, Brandon. Absolutely. So why don't you go ahead and tell everybody a little bit about yourself, who you are, why you're here. Okay. Well, my name's Justin Atherton. I've, I've been in law enforcement for coming up on 15 years. I've done everything from being on the SWAT team, being a detective, being a training officer, supervisor. Um, I, I've run the full gambit of things you can do within the career. And I also teach um, classes to law enforcement on interview tactics and leadership skills. Um, but I think the the thing that stuck out to me the most through my career has been training up the either the new officers or training the guys that I work with on a on a regular basis. That's awesome. So how long have you been doing the training part of your career? Oh man, the training started early on. You know, training, um, being a training officer, working with the, the newer officers. Um, man, that started really early on in my career, and it, it was something that that kept going and and has definitely turned into a passion of mine and i know you were you and i were talking about it beforehand but that's that's what led me to create my business to where mm -hmm. i work with men one-on-one -on -one. i actually use some of these law enforcement skills as self-development tools to help men um, figure out a way to be the best version of themselves mm -hmm. and so by you being a training officer that means you're to blame for all the uh the hatred for police officers right now right that's directly related to you <laughs> Sure, I'll take that. I'll take that. <laughs> That's a good training officer would. That's exactly your job, right? Like whatever happens is your responsibility because you were the train, uh, the TO. So definitely, definitely. Uh, I, I can say any any officer that I trained, I'll take responsibility for this part of it. Any officer I've trained that made it through the program, mm -hmm. I'd trust my life to. Okay. Now, see, uh, as we've discussed, uh, I think when we were messaging before we got on here and everything, uh, I have a military background. And so I had to trust my life to a lot of people that I would not give that same uh, <laughs> that pass to. But you don't really have a choice. You have to. So, yeah. Um, so I, I think that's a good place to start, though, just because as we record this, I believe it's January 7th, 8th. I don't know. We're in that weird time when I don't know where days are. But mm -hmm. it's the day after um, the protests in D.C. It's the day after, of course, that. Um, what appears to be protesters, rioters, terrorists, whatever anyone who wants to call them, because I don't want to get burned for calling them the wrong thing, uh, were able to get access into Capitol Hill. You know, mm -hmm. so we're obviously there's a a lot of renewed tension because there's I think there's a lot of tension for at least the past four to five years, but probably the majority of my lifetime um, around police officers in general. But there's renewed tension now because of what how that whole thing took place. So, um, what are your thoughts on how that was handled? Not specifically, you know, uh, who did it and all those type of things or whatever, but from my perspective. So let me lead you into that just to help you out, I think, a little bit. Sure. Uh, my perspective is we all believe that as a military member, as a police officer, that if they so chose, they could stop anyone from getting access to Capitol Hill. They have the means, they have the training, they have the weaponry, they have all these different things to do that, uh, particularly the, the group that was there yesterday. But it seems like there was a concerted 
choice or uh, effort made to allow them access either not again, not from any nefarious reason necessarily, because I'm looking at it from a tactical standpoint. Maybe you did that to reduce casualties. Maybe you thought that you could control the, the flow better that way and then push them back out. And obviously things went sideways or something like that. But did you see that in any type of way uh, as a tactical choice? Or do you think that that was an error in judgment? Like, what do you think that came from? Well, Brandon, I have to be honest, I can't speak on that mm -hmm. because I, I haven't been paying attention to <laughs> most of the, it's been filtered through some of the other guys that work that are telling me what went on. And, and I know that, you know, someone was, was shot. I know that they did, you know, get into uh, Capitol Hill and it was like, how did that happen? Mm -hmm. So there's always that question of how that, how that happened, what wasn't put in place for them to be able to, to stop that from taking taking that and think and just thinking about it without knowing all the details yeah. it's a horrible tactical idea to let them in with an idea of pushing them back out that mm -hmm. that so i don't believe that that would have been a choice there um but i apologize for not uh paying attention to the news in the last couple of days i've been uh, preoccupied with with other things but uh it definitely an unfortunate event and um yeah it's uh i'm sure that there's still a lot of details that they're gathering so mm -hmm. i i think that's one of the the biggest piece of advice for anyone that sees one of these incidents like wait until all the details come out you know we're really quick to make that snap judgment about what's going on in a certain instance and we may not have all the all the details yet but mm -hmm. like i said brandon i can't speak completely on that well, and that's the kind of the thing that I, I'm actually grateful for that you don't you weren't paying that much attention because I can get your kind of just hearing the the loose details because I'm not holding you to knowing exactly I'm not expecting you to call up the commander of the, the Capitol Hill police force or anything like that. But hearing the loose details, you can go, all right, well, I there's some things here that maybe don't add up or maybe there's a it had to be a choice to do that. Because like I said, where I start from is that the news that they're putting out is that they breached Capitol Hill. Well, to breach, you have to have resistance. You have to have people actively trying to stop you. And as I said before, it's not my belief that we have functioned as a country with a uh, with Capitol Hill and being hard to get access to for all these people for all these years, that this was such an overwhelming force, either through their sheer tactical brilliance or through their numbers or any of that type of stuff that they were able to gain access. It does seem like it was, for whatever reason... It does seem like they were allowed in. Now, again, I think that may have been because they were calm and then suddenly became uncalm. I'm not saying that it was necessarily that deep of an error to let them in. I am saying that they, I just don't believe that they were able to breach. I don't believe that they were able to overwhelm these forces unless there was some kind of uh, order to say, basically, come back. Let's let's pull back from there. Let's let's, you know, uh, go back to a different position because we want to protect the senators or whatever else was going on. It just doesn't seem likely to me that they'd be able to overwhelm those forces. That's all. It's an interesting idea to think about, but again, you know, when you're dealing with a situation in, in any security type event, there is always more spectators than there are officers or security. So without the use of deadly force or some other type of use of force, you know, if, if they're not authorized in those capacities, then you would have to retreat, you know, say it's five officers versus 50 people or even 20 people, that becomes an issue. And so it, it wouldn't take an overwhelming force, especially if the doors weren't locked and barricaded, then, you know, so there's, there's a lot of different aspects that go into that. So mm -hmm. without knowing what the details were, were the doors open? Was it, was it easily accessible? And they just, you know, bum rushed the front door? Or you know, what were the different aspects there? So I think, um, 
And once you get people inside, opening side doors and exit doors that may only open from the inside, it becomes very easy to give access to multiple people. So uh, I'd be interested to hear the details of what actually happened. Oh, and I, I believe you, me, there'll be uh, several iterations of details being released over the coming days, hopefully from various sources so you can kind of uh, cross-check them and everything. But uh, maybe I just had too much faith in their ability to defend it because just that they have, you know what I mean? Maybe that's why uh, they were able to get access a little bit easier than I, I had thought. That maybe but you that look was at the it. police departments in, in Portland that were overrun. So it's like, it, it's it can happen. Any... <laughs> fortified location can be taken over you you know that from being in the military yeah yeah you stay in one location eventually that will be taken over correct and i think i think the difference there is that as you said that's portland compared to our our uh you know national capital you would expect Mm -hmm. a little bit different and better from that again like i said because from what i have seen and i i have not seen everything either because i've kind of just kept a very peripheral uh, knowledge of it thus far, because as you said, I'm trying to wait for more details to come out and more to see what's actually going to sure. happen from this and everything. Um, but uh, I, I just think that you would expect better from that defense force there that protects the nation, and particularly on that particular day when they're doing the uh, certification of the electoral college votes. You know, you, mm-hmm. th- those just two those factors are why I would say that it seems like it was a tactical choice to to not push back on them with uh with the necessary force so which it brings me to uh it reminds me of something i saw when i was in the military um there is a non-lethal uh deterrent that the uh, security forces as we call them in the military uh police really um that they use and i don't know the name of it i need to look it up maybe i'll post it in the links for this episode but it looks like you imagine a humvee and then you put a ping pong table on top of the humvee and what it does is it sends like microwaves or something like that uh downrange to hit uh different people and makes their skin super hot doesn't hurt them does can burn them if it's miscalculated or stuff like that or whatever so that's probably why we won't use it here in the states <laughs> but uh it, it, it just it they use it on large groups of people overseas mm-hmm. when like like you said they are getting um kind of agitated or, or threatening to try to overrun the base or something like that they can hit them with that without actually having to you know kill people and so it's, i've seen demonstrations of that because i used to work in uh, public affairs when i was in the military for a while and sure. we got to actually go out there the one of the guys from uh that discovery channel show future weapons came out and they hit what they did is they had it like i don't know 100 yards back or whatever and there's a piece of metal and the piece of metal is i think concave so it's like a c and then when they hit it the piece of metal suddenly goes the other way because it's hitting it with such intense heat that it's causing it to mm. flex. And then we also had a bunch of our colonels demonstrate that. They had them stand in a line, probably about six feet apart, uh, coincidentally. Um, and they were like, we're going we're gonna to hit the guy in the middle. And so it did. But the way this thing works is whenever they, they turn away and they stop their, their forward progress, it stops hitting them. They immediately, oh. the sensations almost immediately drops off of them when they turn around and stuff. And, I, and now that just may be a guy in the truck who's actually like just turning it off of him or whatever. But it's just a really, really funny thing to see. And that is interesting. And because of, like I said, I don't think that we could use that particular iteration here in the States, but I would be interested to see if there's something like that non-lethal uses of force for large masses of people like that, that could mm-hmm. be implemented to try to do that. And again, I would have suspected, seems to be proven wrong, that they would have had something like that in, uh, you know, the Capitol Hill area, just because again, of what we're talking about there. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously the stuff that they have, you know, is the, is the, you know, tear gas and and pepper spray, you know, which I think people uh, assume that it's nerve gas or mustard gas or something (laughs) like that when it's being used. But um, I've been through that for being on the SWAT team. It's not pleasant. Um, It definitely uh, disperses the oxygen. I, I, I assume you've been through it as well. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's, 
that's non-lethal and you know it disperses crowds very easily because when you are having uh, difficulty breathing you want to get to where there's air <laughs> yeah. so you know who knows what they were expecting who knows what they were ready for I, I think that's an i think that's a stretch to think that they just let people take over maybe they weren't prepared maybe they, they didn't expect something like that to happen because mm-hmm. you know it I don't know because it never happened before and 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 think about that we get complacent with Mm -hmm. issues like that oh just because it hasn't happened before or it's not going to happen here or they wouldn't do that 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 is a huge fallacy and that becomes a safety issue when you start thinking in that manner and and i think something you touched on there with going to uh uh i think we call it in the military oc uh, mm-hmm. but it, the tear gas nonetheless, and, you know, those type of things, mace, uh, your other non-lethal uses of force, um, is that they didn't use those. They didn't use any of the chip, more typical crowd dispersion methods that you've seen in the past and everything. So like I said, there's just a lot of questions going on there with what sure. was chosen, well, why they chose to do that. Right. You know, you have to have that because that's not just a normal equipment that the average officer carries. And I don't know yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, who's there protecting the Capitol. I, I don't know what, department that would be i'm i assume it would be a federal agency that mm-hmm. is is in charge of that but that's not just something that everyone just carries around with them so that's that would be something either reactively saying hey we need to get this or mm-hmm. or proactively go and say hey we should have this staged because this may happen so it's again w- did that happen did they think it was going to happen did they prepare correctly for this event or the um, possible outcome that mm-hmm. did end up happening. So it's a, uh, it's tough. And to I say, think that's, yeah. that's where we go back to what you said before, that it's, it seems more so that it was a, uh, an error of being unprepared, which would make it a tactical error and those type of things as well, which yeah. is likely what's going to come out of all this. You would hope, cause if not, then the tactical error of letting them in uh, through those forces is something completely different. So I don't want to spend sure. too much time on this. It's a very interesting topic to talk about, obviously, sure, but sure. Uh, we didn't come here necessarily to talk about it. It just kind of happened to happen right after we scheduled our, our conversation. So, yeah, I get it. Uh, but so let's go more broadly though, um, um, away from that particular uh, topic and to more broadly, just, what we kind of discussed a little bit before we got on the feeling as, as a police officer and what you think the public feels about you right now. You obviously, there are some sections of the country, uh, cities and everything that aren't necessarily that police friendly. And I just want to know from your peer view, what have you been hearing in the force? What are you feeling maybe personally and everything as much as you want to share there uh, about how America feels about their police officers and where you think there might be some miscalculations in what they're believing. Sure. So I, actually, I, I feel very fortunate. You know, the, the area that I work, I'm in Texas. And mm-hmm. so Texas in general supports law enforcement. And the area I work is very supportive of us. Are, are you going to get those people that, that don't? Are you going to get those certain cities that may be more um, on the side that are against the police? I, I, I think Austin um, was the first city in, in Texas to defund the police. You know, they, mm-hmm. they cut their budget. But uh, so being on the fortunate side, I can't I can only imagine what it's like to work in cities like D.C., New York, L.A., Atlanta, the places where they've had a, a, a lot of issues and they've cut the budgets tremendously. And if, if we're going on, on that aspect, the, the idea of the defund the, the police 
it's an it's an odd thing because people talk about it in in different ways. So you, you've got the it's everything's always on a bell curve, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got the extreme side that are like abolish the police, we should get rid of them completely, and and who knows what they're going to replace it with, right? You know, maybe the the Portland force, what <laughs> whatever they had going on up there. And then you got people like, well, we're not talking about abolish the police. We're just talking about redistributing the funds to different areas and different programs. And it's like, okay, that's that's cool. And depending on what those programs are, but you have to think about what is the first thing to go when you cut the budgets in a police department or sheriff's office? Any department. Training. Yeah. Every time. Training. <laughs> Every single time. Training is the first thing to go. So for years and years, we're like, we need to train police more. We need to train police more. We need to get them to, you know, you know, mental health units. We need to get them to, you know, respond to domestics differently. Like all of this training. Okay. What happens when you remove the training? Do you think the quality of people and, and their ability to do the job goes up or down? Mm. You know, and I don't think that that's being thought about. I don't think that there's a lot of forethought going in there understanding how budgets work and city governments and county governments work when it's like, okay, we're, we're going to reduce the budget and put money somewhere else. Training's going to go away or salaries go away or, or what, whatever that is, wherever that money has to come from, you will end up getting a lower quality of police officer in general. Mm-hmm. And that's not what people want. Because if you do end up getting a lower quality police officer, guess what? You're going to have more incidents where they mess up, where they have judgment errors, or they are undertrained and they don't know what they're allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do in specific incidents. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a tough thing to think about. It's great. Let's expand programs. Let's find different ways to remove the you know, dozens of things that are thrown on officers to have to deal with because there's certain things that officers are like, great, take it from us. Let mm-hmm. someone else do it. Like, why, why do officers work car accidents? There's no crime involved unless mm-hmm. someone flees the scene. But police officers have to respond to that. Police officers respond to mentally disturbed individuals. Police officers respond to a lot of civil issues that have nothing to do with crimes. We're there to prevent disturbances from taking place, Right. But what's going to end up happening, because they, they talk, <laughs> there was a um, a job posting. I'm not going to put the department out there. It is a Texas department. They put a, a job posting out there for this new version of civil servant. Mm-hmm. So it's responding to calls in lieu of a police officer. So you'll be responding to nonviolent calls. Mm-hmm. Okay. How do you know what a nonviolent call is? So it, it, it seems like that civilians that have never been in police work are, are writing these rules, writing these ideas. Oh, this sounds great. I've seen officers get shot on a welfare check, on a motorist assist, a car just being broken down on the highway, and a gunfight ensues because the, the guy hops out, he's got a warrant, and the officer ends up getting shot. On, on car accidents, traffic accidents. Um, I myself have been in a fight on the side of the road before because a guy's hiding underneath a car that he just got in an accident because he had warrants and he was drunk. So mm-hmm. you don't know what a nonviolent call is. Mm-hmm. 
So it's a weird idea to, to phrase it like that, man. Well, and so there's a lot there to, to unpack. I think uh, let's start with just the different ideations of defunding the police. I would agree with you that anybody who says abolish the police is unrealistic and has never heard of a time called the wild west and doesn't understand what that means. Uh, <laughs> because it's, I, I don't see, maybe I'm being a bit harsh there, but my, my person, my perspective is that I don't think there's any way forward with no police presence. I don't think there's any way forward without a law enforcement component to uh, civilization. Because again, if we have no one there to enforce the laws, then people won't follow them. We've, we've something seen will that take to be over, true. whether it's gangs, whether it's you know mob. Something will take over mm. it, when there's a vacuum of power. It will happen. You look at Portland. They I don't know what it was called. They changed so the name several times for that. I think if you're talking about that section of where well, they just the took section, over. Well, the section, I don't care what they were calling it, but they there was a a police force that mm -hmm. formed in that area. Yeah. And they were they were beating the crap out of people, man. They were, because these guys are not trained police officers, right? They're responding to different things and trying to settle disputes and disturbances happening there. And they're using excessive force. They're using what would be considered excessive force for a police officer but when there's a vacuum of power and there's no police allowed in Chaz or CHOP or whatever they're calling it, mm -hmm. something else will take its place. And we don't want we don't want that. Like like literally, you can look at, at that example and see how horrible that would be if that actually happened, because gangs will will take the place for of police officers if they're not there. And then well, they'll run the streets. And keeping in mind that that is, while people forget this, that's why gangs were started. Was for neighborhood protection, was for those sure. type of purposes and everything. And of, of course, they uh, have gone different directions since that initial mm -hmm. uh, charter. But and so that's why I say I agree with you. The abolishing the police, I don't think that's realistic. I think that that is a pipe dream that a lot of people have that won't really bear leg or bear fruit rather. But mm -hmm. what I will say is that I do think that there is some merit at least theoretically, maybe not in practice, but in theoretically to uh, repurposing the funding of the police officers, because as you said, taking away jobs from the police officers and making them a more focused force, making sure. this so they deal with a much smaller uh, series of calls. And to your point, there is no way to know whether a call is going to be violent or not, but that's true for an officer as well. The difference is the officer has the training of them. So maybe the officer isn't even the primary. There's like a lot of different ways to go. So my perspective has always been this when it comes to these type of things. Uh, when it comes to the topic of police reform specifically, let people vote on it and then you live with the results of what you get and then you modify it because that's the thing that you're going to have to go. If you think it's the police need more training, so they have to either increase their funding or make sure that they use more of their funding for training specifically, I can see the logic of that. Let's do it. If you think it's repurposing the funding so you can get all these other civilian agents who can come and do these different things and take some of the stuff off police's uh, plate so they can be more specifically focused on it, sure, let's try that. But that's the problem that I have is that we do neither of those things. We're doing none sure. of them in a lot of places. We're just saying, oh, well, yes, things need to be better, but we're not going to do anything to make it better and, and i don't mean that on an individual level because i know that uh small so some departments may be doing some different um missions here and there trying to change things but until you have like i think a whole scale change in a larger section let's say the entirety of a city instead of just one department or whatever you're really not going to get i don't think any meaningful impact for people who may interact with it because if here in uh florida where i live i could tr drive 15 minutes on the road and deal with a completely different police department so mm -hmm. if my police department locally has done all these initiatives and they un really understand what's happening, that's great. But then if I go over there and I have a mental health episode and they haven't, that doesn't help me. So that's why I say a little bit more widespread change with that type of stuff when you're looking at it. And that's why I say just vote 
and then try to see what works. If we may find that certain sections that I had imagined this to be true, certain sections uh, repurposing the police funding might work. Certain sections, no, we need better trained police officers because we have such a high mass of uh, people here that we have to have this high number of police officers responding to all these different things. And that's why I just say I don't believe we can dictate to everyone countrywide well, what sounds, the solution yeah. is. And, and I agree with that. And, and it's almost the idea of leave it to the states or leave it to the cities. But you, you, it's almost like you're saying two different things there. And I just want to make sure I'm clarifying because you're saying vote yeah. on it. Yeah. So if it's the cities that we're you know, giving them the responsibility with their city council and the mayor and the chief being able to to um, affect some change in the city. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of metropolitan areas where you, like you said, 15 minutes down the road, you're in another city. Yep. So are, are those cities going to be able to vote differently or are you oh, saying absolutely. it has to be the same in the state? Like where, where's the, where's the line there? And, and that's the thing. I don't care where the line is personally, because my whole thing is this. We're going to make mistakes on the road to progress. So mm-hmm. if the progress, excuse me, the mistake we make is drawing the line in the wrong place, so be it. But we are moving forward. I think what we're doing now in a lot of places is just standing still. And that's my problem. I am okay with some pain, growing pains, but you're still well, growing. What makes you say that we're standing still? Because there's a lot of things that aren't getting better. There's a lot of things where people are not, we're not seeing meaningful change in a lot of the different places. So that's why I say, again, what one of the one of the change? meaningful change being i think uh where you're seeing more police accountability in some of these situations that we're talking about which is not directly related to i think and this is where a lot of people get confused uh it's not directly related to what police do it's more so related to what the laws are so that's how you have to enact meaningful change if you're telling me that uh i don't want to throw out any names because we'll get too down in the minutiae of that particular situation but let's say that there's a just a situation the police officer shoots somebody uh they don't have the legal grounds to stand on to try him or or her. Uh, Well, then if that's the case and you're saying, well, yes, we say that that probably shouldn't have happened, but we can't try them. It's like, I'm, I can maybe accept that for that individual, but if you're not changing the law, then you're just allowing that to happen again. You're telling me that that's okay. And that's, that is the intended result of what you wrote into law. If you don't change the law. And that's what I'm saying. There's not progress in that meaningful way in a lot of those places. So I, and this is one of the things I wanted to get into. I think one of the problems we have both pro and anti, if you want to go there or whatever the other side of it is uh, for police officers, is we see police officers monolithic. They're not. They're people. So mm-hmm. you as an officer will handle situation one way and they'll go, oh, that's great. He did everything he's supposed to do. Someone else may not. And so if we don't deal with the individualism of policing, then we're never going to be able to get better at it. As long as we treat police officers as monolithic, as all of them are the same person, I think we're going to have a lot of problems. <laughs> yeah. and Because <laughs> you could do that with any... Um profession right you know if we if we it's it's horrible to, to think about you know you, you think back to when you know it was it was in the news quite a bit where you know priests were sexually assaulting you know mm-hmm. young boys and and altar boys whatever that was were we burning down churches were we burning that like you know killing priests in in church because all of them are bad you know or any any teacher that's had any inappropriate relationship with a student, you know how prolific that actually is. Are we burning down schools and saying that all teachers are bad? So I think that's a very valid point you you bring up. You you can't you can't do it in any profession. Why are we doing it with policing? Saying one officer messed up in this incident right here. He messed up. He needs to be fired. Possibly criminal charges. 
all mm-hmm. police officers are bad. All police officers are racist. It, it doesn't make any sense at all. Because like you said, each officer is going to deal with things slightly differently within the parameters of their policy and the state law and, and whatever is going on in, in that case. So mm-hmm. it's, you, you can't, you can't look at anything different like it, or, or the same. It's like different being on different podcasts. You know, or different podcast guests. You, you don't treat all your guests the same. You know, I, I do. I They're all the enemy, and I must background. win. <laughs> <laughs> How horrible would that be for your guests? Yeah, you know, they would they wouldn't they wouldn't want to come on anymore. They'd be like, "No, I'm not talking to Brandon anymore, man. He treats me like well." That's I'm what most people do after yet. talking to me, guests or otherwise. They just like, "No, never again." <laughs> but but I, I think what you, what you said there is part of where I, I think their problem is, at least for again from my own personal perspective, is that. Because we don't see um, accountability in some of these cases where the prescript, excuse me, the solution for someone murdering someone or someone killing someone in a way that we see is unjust should not be losing your job. That, and I think that's part of the problem we have because you, well, you're, you're taking away that person's job. You're saying one of two things, either A, which I think is the most likely case for 90% of these situations, you're covering your ass. You don't want to be held accountable for this officer continuing on the job. And you know that that's going to be a distraction to the department. You're doing this. You're just covering your ass. That's the reason you're firing him. You're not admitting guilt. You're not doing anything. You're just covering your ass. Uh, or secondary to that, you are saying what happened is wrong. Then we have to make some kind of change about it. And that's either going to come from Paul. Again, I'm not because of where we are in uh, the track of this thing. And because of my own personal beliefs, I'm not so much for punishing an individual officer because again that only stops that doesn't stop anything really because you most of these officers are never going to be cops again anyways they're not going to do this some of them yes but most of them no uh what i am talking about is changing the policy that allowed what they do to be legal because if you're telling me it's legal i can accept that because i understand that uh the way that the laws work there's a lot of ins and outs there's a lot of minutia that people don't really see and they just want these broad sweeping things to go out um but then you have to tell me to change the law so just taking it to a completely sideways subject for a second um just school shootings you know they're always like oh well yes that shouldn't happen but we're not going to change anything to keep it from happening or you get something stupid like happened here in florida the dumbest dumbest thing and i'll go on a small rant for this for like two seconds my soapbox uh i forget what school it was and that makes me sound terrible but the there's a school shooting they went out and then the law that they passed after that um was to like make uh, assault rifles i think or something like that uh illegal to purchase under 21 which would not have changed anything that happened so that's mm-hmm. the points that I'm talking about. You're not making meaningful change. Uh, and when these things happen, you're firing the officer. That's great. That officer may not be able to do that again, but you're allowing the system to continue forward. And I think that's why people tend to look at cops sometimes monolithic from that perspective, because the system that allows that to happen again makes any of those police officers uh, possible to do that. But on the flip side of that, and this is where you go back to your point about training and why training is so important. The meme that the people love to put out whenever uh, Aurora happens, or you've got Dylan Roof uh, in South Carolina, something like that is like, look, they took him in with no, um, without beating him up, without killing him, and something like that. I'm like, you know why they did that? Because they sent their most trained officers to do that. They don't send, you know, somebody who's been on the street for six months to go take out somebody who's uh, shot 50 people. They're going to mm-hmm. send more trained officers. So you're proving in that sense that training is very effective. And so that's that's the like that's the rub. And that's what people don't want to hear. And that's why I said. When defund the police first got started, my uh, my idea was no, the exact opposite. Like you said, they need more training. Training costs money. You need to refund the police, if you will, in a different perspective. But because I am open to the position of me being wrong, because I don't have all the knowledge in the world, no matter what I tell my girlfriend, um, I'm open to voting on it. And then, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, when you vote on something, you see how it works. 
you you don't try to vote on it. You lost a vote or whatever. And so now you try to derail that policy. You vote on it and try to see how it works. So in Texas, I imagine they're going to refund the police and other areas. They may defund the police. And then guess what? Some of them are going to uh, have better statistics than others. And maybe we can look at those as an example. Like, see, in Texas, where they gave the police more money that could be sure. could not be taken away from training. Everything got better. But why not go, right, rather, rather than just vote arbitrarily on mm-hmm. what's you know someone's idea? Why not actually research what's actually going on and Correct. have some some insight? Because the majority of of movements you know to defund the police or to restructure those things are are completely civilian based. People that have no idea how policing works don't understand case law, don't understand you know the Title Nine of uh, of the the CCP and and how use of force operates. Mm -hmm. So without any clear understanding on that, when you make these arbitrary policies and changes, there is going to be a huge discrepancy. And and it seems like you're suggesting that we just vote on it and hope it works. If it doesn't, we can change it later. It, It is difficult to change laws and regulations once they go into effect. It's not like you can change it every second Wednesday of the month. It's something that has to go into the, the state legislators and, and, and get looked at and passed. And there are some laws that get passed that are that are silly or they're or the laws that are changed and they become to where you can't, you know, prosecute them or they don't work. Like I, I'm mm-hmm. familiar with several laws in Texas that when they made adjustments to it, now now you can't prosecute. Mm-hmm. You, you look at it and it's like, why is this even still in the book? I can't do anything with this. So w- without having some clear understanding on how a lot of this stuff works, let's do some research. Let's let's look at what's actually going on. You were talking about how n- no officers are being accountable. That's what seems like the suggestion is. There are officers being held accountable. There are officers that face criminal charges. So I would I would I would have everyone look that up to just say no one's, no officers are being held accountable. There's no change being done. That's not true. There has been a lot of change in the past 15, 20 years as far as all of that is concerned and more officers being held accountable for their actions. Mm-hmm. So so two things there. One, uh, thank you for bringing up the research aspect because that's usually my my form formula for any of the changes I suggest. And I somehow skipped that sure. step today. But it starts with research. <laughs> then does. you enact said research. And then you, you, you maintain. So it's that standard Six Sigma type stuff, whatever. You always start with research. So I don't know how I skipped that. But yeah, I'm not saying arbitrarily vote on laws because they sound nice. Because again, that's how you get the stupid 21... Uh, years old assault rifle thing here in Florida, which again, I want to point out one more time for anybody listening who missed it. Stupid law does not change anything that from what it was supposed to fix. It doesn't do anything. It's nonsense. But anyways, uh, one thing I I want to touch on that real quick. One thing I thought was interesting and, and I want to look it up again because I know it was either Iran or Israel Mm. 20, 25 years ago. Just real quick. I have to jump in really quick there. I'll get in trouble if I don't. It's Iran, not Iran. It's Iran. Iran. So it's either Iran or Israel. I don't know which one it was, but they had a a school shooting happen Mm -hmm. and their response to that. It was, it was a horrible incident that happened for them. Their response to that was to have armed guards in every school. Mm -hmm. And they have yet to have another school shooting since then. Mm -hmm. So laws about gun control, like so you talk about the, the the banning, you know, assault rifles under the age of 21. What what law 
would have prevented a school shooting. Pick a school shooting that's happened in the last 10 years and then name a law that would have prevented it from happening. I'm, I'm there with you on that. I, I don't think that that's a law, but again, this is where, and I don't want to get too sidetracked with going down the gun control range of uh, range. Ha, that's hilarious. Anyways, um, <laughs> don't go too far Brilliant down the gun. Good. Yeah. The yeah, gun control uh, rabbit hole, because I think there's a lot more things there. My problem is with gun control, with the policing issue and the other type of stuff is that we do a lot of thoughts and prayers. We don't, I'm, so let's go back to what you said there with there being meaningful change. Then that needs to be put into a different way. Now, I'm, I'm, I know where we can go with this in a little bit, so I'll get ahead of it. Uh, that is because of what people click on. The way that our capitalism works is attention is dollars. So when yeah. people pay attention, they get dollars. What they pay attention to is sensationalized type stuff. And that is more so, like you said before, the things that don't go the way that you want them to. So we have to get better about spreading the news of what has actually changed. Because if you're telling me things have changed, and I'm not challenging you on that right now, uh, I, I'm saying that I need we need to make it better where people are seeing that uh, more readily. We need to make it better where pe that information is more readily available for these individuals. Um, and then uh, I think secondary to that, is while laws don't change anything, we're not also not promoting lawlessness because the, the counter to that, and I always go to this whenever somebody says that for like gun control and stuff, it's like, all right, they make all drugs legal. They're not stopping people from doing them. They're not mm -hmm. stopping addicts from having it. So and we so we understand that there are some balances to all the stuff that we're talking about when it comes to uh, lawlessness and everything. But I think um, Reagan said it best. He, he mm -hmm. talked about in for instead of gun control laws, we should make the punishment for gun crimes worse, more I harsh. Would, I would handily disagree with that i do not believe that negative reinforcement is a great way to to influence change it's been proven that from research and stuff like that that humans don't really respond very well to negative uh, reinforcement sure but you get those people off the street for a longer period of time right but that doesn't make it stop happening and then my goal is to make it stop happening or make things change if you get people off the street again going back to the same thing i said before about the individual police officer getting fired or getting arrested or whatever in mm -hmm. that case uh that changes it for one person I'm trying to change. I would like to change. I'm not trying to change it. I'm not a freaking <laughs> motivational speaker out here, but I would sure. like to see things change on a more uh, grand scale, I guess, which means well, that goes down to like parents and, and raising your kids better and having emotional intelligence oh, and, yeah. and learning to communicate because we, we are, I, I, I teach classes that rely heavily on emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. And we have been on a steady decline over the last 150 years on our emotional vocabulary, our emotional intelligence skills are mm -hmm. crazily on a decline. And I can only imagine that last year, 2020, ramped up how horrible our uh, interpersonal skills are by not being around people. Now everything's digital. Um, not being able to even be within six feet of people. I, I, it'll be interesting to see the research on, on how the last year accelerated our decline in emotional intelligence skills. And so mm -hmm. that is what I would say is a number one to prevent a, a lot of different issues. You know, I train my daughter on emotional intelligence skills. She's going to be a little badass when she grows up and she's going to be able to handle anything that comes her way because of the skills that I'm imparting on her. And I wish I had these skills when I was a child. Mm. It would have saved me a lot of heartache, a lot of pain, would have saved a lot of other people pain in, in my life that I interacted with, breaking up with girlfriends, you know, having bad relationships. You know, it, it, you know, when someone is broken, you know, they tend to affect a lot of people around them throughout their life. 
And I'll agree with you on the uh, the decline of EQ, but I will say that I think we disagree on how he got there. One of my things that I've always said is because there's been an over-worship of IQ. We consistently are talking about how smart someone is, how intelligent someone is, but not how emotionally intelligent they are. And they've done, again, going back to the, the articles I've read, because I'm super smart that way. <laughs> they, they've done research on this, and they basically found that most of the people who are successful in life don't necessarily have high IQs. They have high EQs because they understand how to talk to people. And because we're social creatures, you need to have that. And that should be a great skill for you. Uh, because if you think about it again, like, and I use this example a lot. You look at somebody like the president of the United States, the president of the United States, no matter which president you're talking about, all, oh, Jesus, I'm going to embarrass myself here, all 45 or 46 of them, uh, depending on how you count now, um, none of them have ever been the smartest person in government. Sure. They, some, a lot of them have been one of the more emotionally intelligent people in government. And that's the difference. They have smart people who work for them. So I think that's mm -hmm. where we started getting away from EQ. Uh, because like I said, since I started doing well, the Well, then school systems, they, they, they teach IQ and make you do an IQ test. The way that the yeah, school yeah, systems yeah. Are, are developed, it's for testing. And, but, and that's what I'm saying. That IQ. comes from what we told them to do. You know what I mean? We, at mm -hmm. some point, again, no matter who it was, I don't want to pin it on any individual person because we carried that forward. So we all share the blame somewhat on that. Sure. Uh, they decided IQ was the thing to be. They said mm -hmm. IQ, IQ, IQ. And then we started, we stopped focusing on EQ as much. And then that became part of the what we go for. Because now if your kid is smart, that's what you want. But how many friends does your kid have? Doesn't necessarily be like, dude, you're not going to get a job with friends. It's like, that's not true. Science says that's not true. You know what I mean? The reason that Harvard is good as it is, not because the knowledge is great, although it is, it's because of who they meet there. It's because of the connections they make. It's the EQ. Again, it's all about mm -hmm. connections and that type of stuff. But again, we're going yeah. so far off the track. Yeah, yeah, but sorry, that's just a very sorry, interesting man. topic. You touched one of my buttons there. It's good. <laughs> very good topic. And I agree. EQ is super important. So, but uh, just good, like I said, circling back to all the stuff with the uh, police uh, reform and policing and everything like that. I, I think that there is, again, an unfair burden that are put on individual police officers because of what we talked what I talked about before, with police being seen as monolithic. And I mm -hmm. think that that's from what you're saying and the combination of uh, kind of what I was uh, thinking. I, I think that that needs to be a message that's put out better. And that's about communication for one. But also, like I said, Seeing that meaningful impact in more local areas, I think, is what people are asking for. And it does start with some level of accountability with some of the major cases we've seen and everything like that. Uh, but to the police's credit, because this is an often uh, something that's said, and I agree with it in pure statistics, there are more police interactions every day that don't go viral than the ones that do. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Because there's, I don't know how many touch points with police officers, you know, throughout the day. If you're on, you know, on a shift for eight hours, you may see, depending on the day, you know, and you, and where you work, of course, you may see 20 people, you may see 100, you may see five. It just depends, right? Sure. So how many of those are you going on YouTube and seeing? <laughs> I would imagine not many. So you have mm -hmm. millions to the, the handful that go bad and stuff like that. And so I think what you're seeing there and where people aren't feeling those meaningful changes when you have the these instances that seem fairly clear cut and then they there is no accountability for that particular action and then to from my own perspective there's no follow-up with a change in the law that allowed that to be legal because that's where i want to see you're telling me hey x case in 1995 or x case in 2020 or 2020 or whatever it is uh we couldn't prosecute we had no legal means to so okay so then change the law make something happen so you can do it next time because you're telling me it's not right but you're also not telling me you're ever going to do anything about it and that's where i think the rub is for me and then that doesn't go to the police department level because you're talking about policy inside a police department, all those type of things, which are by its very nature, a lot of the people outside of that won't see and won't get to know. Mm -hmm. And also it requires the police department itself to hold itself accountable, which is always, I think, a bad situation to put anybody in. 
Uh, military did, did that all the time, and I hated it. I thought that's why it was important sometimes to have outside forces uh, that, that we could reach out to and that other people would look at and everything. And um, Well, normally that's the case. You just don't mm -hmm. see the workings behind the scenes because depending on the agency, depending on the state, the say there's an officer-involved shooting. Yeah. Normally, that agency won't investigate that. They'll have another agency, whether it's the, the sheriff's department or a neighboring agency or the state agency, come and investigate that. Now, there are some agencies that may still investigate that if they are a large department that have different divisions, then they're equipped to be able to do that. You think about, you know, New York Police Department. They are, you know, the largest police department in the U.S., so they would be equipped to handle there's a shooting in this this district. Okay, let's have these district officers that have nothing to do with with these guys over here be able to investigate that. And they have their own internal affairs division. They have a whole division based on on those different aspects. So it, it's some of it's contextual. There's no there's no blanket um, <laughs> policies or procedures or laws that are going to you know hold people accountable. But again, it, it comes back to saying that the general idea that, that no one's being held accountable or that like that it's so prolific. You can go on the Washington Post website right now and research how many police shootings there have been in the last, I think, I think it goes back to 2000. Yeah, mm -hmm. I don't know if it was 15 or 20 years and show the steady decline in police involved shootings. And, and it will break it down into race stats too. you know, mm -hmm. unarmed, armed, black, white, Hispanic, other, you know, you can look at all those stats and see it for yourself. I won't even quote them because no one's going to believe the, the numbers that, that come out of my mouth. So go look at it for yourself. And also, there's also another misconception that unarmed means not dangerous. Mm -hmm. And so the, the way that the media spins that, oh, another unarmed person was shot by a police officer. Okay, what is the context? Was it a 280-pound man beating the crap out of a 150-pound female police officer? Does that unarmed person, does that mean that he's not dangerous? Mm -hmm. So the, it's all based on context. Because even in the use of force code, there are different standards. Because me, I'm 240 pounds. I'm 6'3". Okay? Now, if, I'm, if I have to get in a fight with someone that is 150 pounds, I can't use the defense that he was going to overpower me. Mm -hmm. I, I, I lose that because of my physical stature. But when you flip it on its head and it's a 280 pound man fighting a 150 pound officer, they get that caveat to say I was being overpowered. And guess what? Any fight that a police officer gets into, there's a gun involved. Mm -hmm. We always bring a gun to the party. Okay. So if we get overpowered, if we get knocked out, guess what they have access to? Mm -hmm. And people don't think about those different aspects of the job or, or what happens next. You know, if someone sprays you in the face with pepper spray and police officers know this, cause you've been through this training. This is why police officers get sprayed with it to know how long you can go with it. And, and the fact that you are incapacitated at a certain point to where you can no longer defend yourself. Mm -hmm. So there's all of these different factors that go in. And what's sad, what makes it really bad are certain incidents. Like you said, we don't have to get into specific ones, 
but the media will put out certain details that aren't true. Mm-hmm. Social media grabs onto it and spins it, or they're like, oh, it was my cousin. I heard this, or they're getting likes, they're getting shares on their Twitter account because you know th- they're sharing a little bit of details, but it's like, how do you even have those details? Did you tell the, those details to the police? I've seen a lot of mis and disinformation come out of incidents like that, and they're later found to not be verified. Mm-hmm. And so, but we get what's it, the court of opinion, right? The court of opinion goes out there was like, oh, this is what should happen because of everything I saw on Facebook and Instagram. And so the, I think that, that this person should, should go to jail. Mm-hmm. You know, this officer should go to jail. But when you actually look at what the details were, they were nothing like what was being spun out there by the media by, or social media. So it's, do bad things happen? Yes. Do officers make mistakes? Yes. Should some of them go to jail? Yes. Okay. But we have to look at all the details. And so I, I think that just going back to that, I, I'd be interested to see, do you have a case that you would hold up as an officer made a mistake and say in the, for the purposes of this conversation that they got, a, got away with it. There wasn't meaningful impact to them uh, for something they did that you felt was in, they shouldn't have been doing. If you're comfortable saying it, if you're not, if you don't want to throw another officer under the bus, I, I get that. But I'm just trying to see because that's that's the rub because I can point some out. But like you said, unless we want to get into the specifics of an individual case, which we can for one that I think I, I feel pretty strongly about. But uh, I'm just trying not to pin us down too much on an individual case, because like you said, there are so many minute details that we can go down. But I just didn't know if you had one that you saw and you're like, yeah, that dude should have that dude, that woman uh, should have gone to jail. So. The, the first one comes in my mind for George Floyd. So I don't, I don't know what, did they all end up getting charged already? Like convicted? Uh, so, so they did. I know that uh, the main guy, and it's been that long. I forget his name is Derek Chopin or whatever his name sure, is. And then, that, and then two, yeah. two of the other ones, I believe also did get charged with something officially. Uh, but I don't know where that went. But they, so that one, they, they wanted to charge all of them with murder, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. the, the way that the law is written, I knew that that wasn't going to fly. Like, it, it may work for the main guy. Like, it may have fallen in there. But you have to prove certain couple of mental states and what their intent was. And so understanding how the law works, that shouldn't have been a goal. Like, should do they need to be held accountable? Do they need to be held accountable criminally and civilly? Yes. Okay. Um, but to what extent based mm-hmm. on the laws that are in place, if you go say, Oh, they all need to be charged with murder. Well, guess what? You haven't read the penal code for that state about murder because it's mm-hmm. not going to fly. Okay. So ignorance of the law and how you think it should be applied based on your opinion doesn't really work. So in that incident, I think that it upset people because of the lower charges that were being pursued. Mm-hmm. So it maybe in that case, it appears that they're getting away with it because people don't understand the laws that how they're written and how they're worded and mm-hmm. how you can actually apply those certain statutes to a situation like that. But I am curious on on the one that that you were thinking about and, and seeing how that could apply or. Um, oh, absolutely. I, yeah. Yeah. So, the, so to your point, I agree with you. I, I thought that it was, 
there are things that feel right that aren't the way the laws are written. And that's why I go back to, if you're telling me that you believe that the fact that the law is not written that way, then you need to make it written that way. So I, I agree with you. Cause I don't, how do you charge officers who stood by while somebody did something for not stopping them? Is there a good Samaritan law in that, uh, that state? You know, the, like, what are you charging them on basically? So I, I agree with you on that. I don't remember Like we can look it yeah, up later, but they on, were yeah, depending on the state law. It could be like negligent homicide yeah. or however they word it. So it would be somewhere in there. But it's but political. They're not going to get convicted. You're not convicting him. I'm, I'm sorry. Like de- the main guy, I believe he'll probably get convicted. The other guys mm-hmm. for not stopping their their superior officer, if I'm not mistaken. I think one of them was like basically like his first day. You know, he been there for like a little short amount of time for not you're they're going to get uh, convicted for something. I doubt it. It's a political charge it is my and I have problems with that. Again, going back to what I said, because pragmatically. You're not making things better. You're making you look better. And that doesn't help anybody. So, but I digress. Um, for me, Tamir Rice. Tamir Rice was the main one. I'm from Ohio originally. So that one obviously stuck uh, close to home. Ohio is an open carry state. Uh, we've seen the video of the police officers uh, and how they arrived on scene. They weren't tactical. They made tactical errors in the way they approached the situation that led them to having no options other than shooting him. And that's my problem with overall what happened. He's the he's the boy that had a toy gun, correct? Correct. Twelve year old child in a park in an open carry state of Ohio, mm-hmm. uh, and the officer they drove across the grass to the park. They didn't position themselves where they could speak to him from the bullhorn or give him kind of command, see how he responded, put themselves or other people. And that's the other thing too. They had no reason to do that because it wasn't like there was other people there immediately in the park that were being put in danger. There's just well, a lot of factors in that. At, uh, I don't know if you can. Sorry, sorry, your video froze there. Could you, could you say sorry. that again? Yeah, I, I asked what was the what were the dispatch notes? What were the call notes that they were given? So uh, that one is that's the part where I think I'm not as crystal clear on. I know I know this for a fact that the 911 caller told them that she believed that it might. She said it might be a toy, or he, I forget now, but it might be a toy. But I don't believe that that was passed on to the the officers. Mm-hmm. I, I think that the officers were told that there's uh, someone in a park with what could be a gun but that so that's the thing though that's where you start there let's start there right Mm -hmm. in ohio that's not an illegal offense you're allowed to do that none of that is illegal sure so because it's an open carry state but again what the specific context would make a difference Mm -hmm. right holding a gun in a non-violent way or are they pointing at other kids what what was the actual thing that was told? Because the response is going to change completely. Like you said, if you're just carrying it over your shoulder slung, it's not an issue. You're not carrying it in a manner to alarm because that's how mm. no, the statutes are normally written, not carried in a manner to alarm. Right. Okay? But if you're, you're a kid playing with a toy gun, what are you probably doing with it? You're pointing it at other kids, pulling the trigger. Who knows if it's making cap noises? Who knows, right? So the specific notes that are given to dispatch you are taken in the context because say you're given this message by a dispatch there's a young male in the park pointing a gun at other children the the call taker's not sure if it's real or fake mm-hmm. how would you respond to that as i just said I would approach the scene from more of a distance because of what I'm not going to do and what did happen in that case. And this is again, going into the context of why I believe that this particular case was that heinous is that they pulled up within feet of the, the area where the child was from a pure tactical standpoint, that is an armed uh, assailant. Why would I put myself in that danger? That is not helping anyone, including myself to Have actually given information the situation. possible danger to others lives. Then you have to. But that's what I'm saying. You don't have to from the perspective of how you approach that situation. I am saying that there are other ways to approach it. You pull back further. 
you're not going to pull within feet of them. Because even if, mm-hmm. this is what I'm saying. I, if I you are telling me that that person is armed, I don't want to pull up to them with my door to their right. I'm dead. Mm-hmm. If that person is armed, I'm going to be dead. So you've made a tactical error in the way you approach it, which left you no other option other than to immediately open fire. Mm-hmm. And that's where I go into. You took poor choices. You made bad decisions that led you to a decision, excuse me, to a place where you may not have had any other choice to open fire. That makes you. So what is your suggestion? He should have parked a quarter mile back and started giving commands. And I don't know about a quarter mile. That's a bit far, but you park further back. You put, again, you put yourself in a position where you could, if you put yourself in a position, believe that there are lives at danger. Like someone is going to die in this park right now. And that's even more important, even more important why I can't die. Because if I die, guess what? Those lives are still in danger. So I need to approach a situation in a, situ- in a excuse me, in a place that gives me the best opportunity to not get killed and keep mm-hmm. everybody in danger. And that's what I'm saying. So if the person had been armed, stay, take the, to the other way. Tamir Rice is an armed assailant. He actually was trying to hurt people. Mm-hmm. That officer is dead immediately. Sure, so he you, made a more tactical choice because I would have just run the person over with my car. Well, no, he's in a gazebo. You're not going to be able to do that. And that's okay. also what I'm oh. saying. And right. saying, I, I don't have all the, the details of it, but I wouldn't right. park with, with my driver door to them. But I definitely well, sorry, sorry, sorry. his passenger door because his partner is driving. His partner is driving. He hops out with the passenger door to, uh, to him or whatever. I shouldn't have made it sound like he was solo. He had his partner with him. There's two okay. of them. Well, then I'm going to have assailant. one driving. <laughs> well, obviously, that's something else that just happened. But that's my point. Like you in two years. I don't know if you're joking or not, but you're not going to run him over either because you you have no assessment of the scene yet. So just to assault him without assessing the scene, without doing any of those type of things or whatever. And that's kind of where I, like I said, I stand on is that they made several tactical errors that in essence, if you're telling me they had no other choices, that's because you made poor choices leading up to that. So that makes you culpable. You don't get to just go, oh, I made all these mistakes and then I had to shoot him. It's like, no, you made poor choices that led you having to shooting, meaning those poor choices matter. You're culpable for that. And again, and then you go, now you go extra layers deep into the onion and they didn't know this at the time. But that officer had been fired by another department uh, or no, excuse me, didn't get fired by the department. I think he didn't get passed through his initial uh, training or something like that. They said he's unfit. He should never hold a weapon. His uh, his T.O. at that time said he should never be a cop, essentially. Um, uh, and, and then that, but he time. lied. He, he lied on his uh, he lied on his uh, job form. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so but again, you so you go through all those different layers of it as they pull out that information and there's no charges filed. There is so there's you have to you have to go in with the couple of mental states like what is the intent but that's the thing if we're all we're only looking at a 10 for police officers then every police officer will always walk mm-hmm. so and that's the problem the, the different state so and i'm not familiar with ohio laws but in in texas it's it's four different couple of mental states intentionally knowingly recklessly or with criminal negligence okay mm-hmm. and and based on different offenses all have different culpable mental states some of them have multiple some of them have all four some of them just have one so it depends on what you're trying to charge them with and and the way that some of these laws work and and this is the this is the the rub when attempting to go for the highest charge okay and again i'm only going to speak for texas because that's the only state i'm familiar with when you go for the highest charge on certain offenses like let's say murder it doesn't always have a lower included offense. Yep. Agreed. I know exactly where you're going. I thought that's where you're going. Yeah. And I, I political, that's political charging. You knew that when you charged them with that nonsense. But when there's, when there's people pushing for that, like, no, we need to charge them with murder because I, in, in the police department, when we've had guys, when officers get shot mm-hmm. and there's, you know, push from the department for the DA's office to go for the higher charge. And the DA's office, you come in and be like, hey, look, guys, 
we can charge them with the highest charge. Like we can go for that. If you guys want, like if you guys are actually pushing for this, we will do it because there's politics involved, right? Especially when you get the whole department, you know, yep. pushing the DA's office going like, we want to charge them with, you know, aggravated assault on a police officer and or attempted murder on a police officer. I think that was the, the incident I'm thinking of. They wanted to go with attempted murder, but they're like, hey, hang on a second, guys, because if we can't prove that, then there's nothing we can drop it to. And then it's just mm -hmm. dismissed. So the the safer bet would be to go with aggravated assault on a peace officer. So in case that one doesn't stick, there are lesser included offenses that, that we can go, well, since it didn't meet that culpable mental state, the jury can agree that you know it may not have been intentional, but it was knowingly. Mm -hmm. Okay. But when you go for murder and the only thing in there is intentional, yep. And you're asking the jury, did did that officer intentionally kill that child with the intent to just kill them? And you and you have to ask the jury that. Mm -hmm. And when they go, no, it, it wasn't intentional. He should have known. But he but he he didn't. You know, and like you said, you've got all these extra factors outside that he probably shouldn't have been in the police in the first place. He lied on his admission forms. Yeah. And and so you can't charge him with anything else because there's no lesser included offense. Mm -hmm. So that's something that a lot of people don't understand. It sounds like you do understand that aspect. Oh, yeah. Um, but people don't grasp that when there is political push to charge him with the highest crime. Oh, this police officer, we need to charge him with murder. The DA is probably going, hey. Hey, that's not a good idea. No, I don't care what you think. We're going to charge him with it. He's going to get convicted. It's like, okay, if you tell me to do it, I'm going to do it. Even though I disagree with it. And it's not statistically probable that they will get convicted of this particular offense. Understand that there's, there's nothing else to fall back on. So hmm. that's a, that's a whole different conversation that, that people aren't involved in because they don't understand how certain laws like that work. So, it seems like you're suggesting that we throw some some different caveats in there to make it easier to convict people on on certain offenses when maybe they're not the appropriate charges. So sometimes I, I think it falls on the DA's office. And, and I, I'm not disagreeing with you there. I think one of the things that uh, uh, anybody that I listen to who talks about the politics in general, they always say is start locally because that's what we're talking about there. You want to change a lot of these cases, you change a lot of the DAs. That's how you get these things done because like you said, they push for something political. They know wins in political points, but they don't actually have to be culpable for it because for example, it, it, again, throwing this out there, not actually saying this is how the real world works. It's just a TV show so people can understand the, the, the idea or whatever. The DA knows that he's not going to be able to charge a, a, a police officer with murder. Everybody's pushing for murder. So they can charge him with murder or indict them, whatever it is, it goes because it won't go to trial yet. Uh, I forget the terminology right now, but mm -hmm. and they know that they don't actually have to worry about that because they know they're not going to win that. But they won the political points for going for it, and they also haven't made the the officers too too mad because they know that they weren't going to get convicted either. And so that's the situation that I think a lot of these people find themselves in, and I think that's part of the overall nonsense. And that's why we that's why I go back to what I said before. I don't specifically think it's police officers' responsibility to change a lot of things we're talking about because again, internal change requires tons of time. It requires, you know, uh, culture changes. You're talking about all these different things or whatever. And those do work, but they take time and it doesn't help the people immediately. I'm saying that legally speaking, those type of things need to be, there needs to be whatever done, whether it's you, like you said, holding the DA more accountable or, or uh, having lesser offenses um, 
that are able to like if you charge them with set, certain ne negligent homicide or whatever else that you can have a, a lower offense that can roll down to whatever that is and that's what i'm saying it's mm -hmm. different for every situation it's different for all of them but if you're telling me that the law protects the person who uh killed tamir rice then the law is wrong that's my thing i'm okay with you saying that legally at the time this crime was committed he got off because of x all right well then let's close that because that can't happen again. We're looking at all these factors. That should not happen again. And that's where I go with that type of stuff. Like I said, that's why I don't specifically pen it all on police officers, even though the, obviously a lot of what comes through this is that they are, if you will, the tip of the spear for that because they're the ones who are actually seen doing it and all that type of stuff. But I'm fine with, like I said, if we have a law that we don't know exists, or excuse me, something has happened that we didn't have a law for, but all right, now let's fill that void. That's the same thing I, I, I say. With a lot of it just has to do with, you know, being ignorant of the law and, mm -hmm. and people pushing their agenda. There, there's there's laws there that are spelled out specifically. So rather than, you know, pressure DAs to, to prosecute a certain crime, you know, maybe they're there. Maybe he would have been convicted of a, a lower level crime, you know, if if they went the correct route. Obviously, he, he didn't, um, you know, the tactics you know, definitely play into that factor. But again, Monday morning quarterbacking it is a tough thing to do. So you can say, man, hey, we need to get there fast because you don't know what's happening. Because I, I, I try to put myself in that situation, right? If I'm thinking about responding to someone with a gun in a park in a gazebo that's possibly pointing that gun at, at other kids, I'm going to get as close as I can so I have a good shot, okay? Um, because it depends on if there's people around. Now, if I pull up and there's in the park's empty, great. And I see just one guy in the gazebo, perfect. I'm gonna park a quarter mile back <laughs> and go, hey, this is what I got. I need some officers on the other end of the park over there. Let's block out the park. Let's not let anybody else in. Okay. Mm -hmm. Perfect scenario. Be like, great. Let's coordinate off. Let's communicate with them. If it's a kid, hopefully he he probably would have responded you know, pretty easily to that, like, going, oh, holy crap, the police are yelling at me. Let me drop my gun. Other factors thrown in. Are there kids right next to them? Are there kids? Th think about, hey, I, I was just thinking about the scene right now. There's probably kids running, running and screaming. Okay. No. Because right. they're, they're playing. Because they're playing. They're playing, right? No. The, the context Again, of the context of, of the situation, as I understand it, and I'll, I'll, I'll go back and fact check this again, because again, it has been some time. This, this case, I believe, sure. happened like eight years ago or something like that now. He'd be like 20-something. Uh, was in the park alone. He is by himself, and, okay. which well, is one of the reasons I said. Because I'm thinking another aspect of the scenario could have been kids running around screaming, right? Playing, but then think you're, a, yeah, you're yeah, you think that, in that context, and you're like, oh, no, they're screaming. They're running. Well, maybe there were shots fired. Who knows what they heard when they're approached? I, I don't. I don't have all those details, but you have to play devil's advocate with that because you don't know. And and this is something that I have pushed to guys I've trained and, and officers that I've worked with is a poorly written report will get you fired and put in jail. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't articulate exactly why you're doing what you're doing, the public doesn't know. Mm -hmm. And that's why I love body cameras. I talk to the camera. And I, I tell the guy what I'm thinking. Like, if I'm dealing with somebody, I'm like, hey, man, it looks like you want to run. Let's not do that because that's not going to end up good for, for anybody. You know, I'm going to catch you. You know, I'm pretty fast, but then I'm going to be tired. You know, so it's like we don't, we don't want to do that, man. Then you're going to be tired and, you know, let's not do that. So 
I talk to the camera. I, I, I talk to the people about what's going on. If I see something or I hear something, I'll say it out loud. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's something that should be a, a training aspect. And for all the, the, the people I've worked with, I teach them to do that because you do have to have that forethought of like, hey, this might go sideways. And I might be sitting in court in eight years about this case that I forgot the details about because it's so long ago and they all, you know, blend in together. Mm-hmm. And so that's just another aspect of training and just, you know, forethought, but it's, you know, that, that there, there's so many different aspects and I, and I wish I had more of those details to, to be able to know myself. Um, I think the only one that I really did some research on was the Breonna Taylor one, which is a little bit more recent, but that one, mm-hmm was a very similar incident where they were spitting out details into the media that weren't true. And so well, when that comes back around, it, it makes everything look bad. Well, and, and the Breonna Taylor situation was one when it, it first happened. I, I said, from, again, I am no lawyer. Uh, I am no police officer by any means either. So, uh, but just looking at the facts of what I knew, I was like, I don't think there's anything you can really charge them there with because it would be, if you take it at just at, face value. Let's say some of the things that I don't think a lot of these would get proved to be true, but let's just say they are for a second, because I don't, I don't think it changes the outcome. Uh, the police burst in the door, right? That's legal. Uh, the other person opens fire because they believe somebody's breaking in their house. That's legal. Well, now the police officer is being shot on. Is he not going to return fire? Legal. So like that's those three factors alone where the charges, like again, the situation played out overall where you look at it and like that shouldn't have happened. I agree, but where are the charges? It, that that and that was the thing again. Like I said, if you want to tell me that's wrong, I can see the factually how that's unfortunate because Brianna Taylor obviously is not somebody uh, that was doing anything illegal in that time, and it doesn't seem like anything illegal was happening in that general sphere of her world and everything like that. As she had an ex boyfriend who was doing stuff that they were looking for, I believe. Um, but where do you change that? Where what happens in that situation that changes that? Uh, it, it, from what I understand, I believe that they there is reports that they did actually knock on the door. So while they had a no knock warrant, they chose to knock. I believe it was the last I saw of it or whatever. But the only thing that can change anything in there, I don't see where you change the law. I don't see where you can try them for for returning fire. They didn't mm-hmm. open fire; they returned fire. I just don't I think know one of them they get charged with um, reckless endangerment because they shot through a window next door. Yeah, because you, you yeah because you're not you're supposed to see what you're shooting at. And he was blindly returning fire. So that was, that was an issue. But the way that when that first came out in the media, it was like she was laying in her bed and they walked in and murdered her like that. Mm -hmm. That's how it was being put out there. And that was proven to not be true that she was up in the hallway. And, you know, there was, and, and there's a, I I would, (laughs) I would say for you and your audience to research that they did have the leaked, um, a report on that to where she was involved in a lot of criminal behavior um, with her current boyfriend and former boyfriend. I believe um, there was a, uh, a dead body found in a car that she had rented uh, and lent to her previous boyfriend. The jail phone calls talked about how she was the one that kept all the money. So it, it wasn't that she was an innocent person. Obviously it's, it's tragic to that someone would lose their life in an incident like that. And the fact that the, the, the boyfriend was blaming the shooting on her, um, that's all around. It was, it was a bad situation, but the, the media made it worse. By but I, I think that's part of what we're talking about here, both the media and the police response to that in the sense that like releasing that criminality after the fact does not change the particular details of that situation. And I think that's where you're looking at 
where but the public perception that's the initial thing right so we think that there's injustice and racism in police departments because of the initial details that were put out about that incident mm-hmm. you know especially during an incident like that where there is a police shooting and someone does lose their life the police department is not going to put out a lot of details up front because guess what if they do have to go to trial for something like that they don't want to influence the people that are going to be called to be on that jury to whether to indict or to clear that person. But the media makes it their job to put their opinion on what happens. And then you got the whole social media that that puts its own spin on it as well. So when the true details come out, people have either forgotten about it or then they're mad because of it didn't turn out the way that they thought it should have gone. So that immediate public perception is really bad. Like everyone should just take a breath and go like, but, hey, let's let's figure out what's actually happening. And I understand the merit of what you're saying. I think where the public, uh, let's say civilians, as you would call them, um, where that becomes hard to do is that because it's everybody who's involved in it, there's so much. So there was a saying in one of the career fields I used to work in where any viewed impropriety is impropriety in the sense that you have to make it so above board that you can't seem culpable in these situations. Uh, and, and so that's the part of the problem is that when the police force, it does see those, like you said, they don't release, they stop releasing a lot of details, except details in a lot of these situations. It seems like details that benefit them. Well, so this person had marijuana in their system. They did this, they did that. And so you're releasing these details and make you, the, the police officer, not you, you, the Royal, you, mm-hmm. uh, look better or, or, or the help your case. But at the same time, you're also controlling that flow of information. The public can't get that information. So they do start creating their own narratives or they start leaks. There's all this nonsense that goes on with that. And I, yeah. I'm no fan of how the media. Yeah, I don't like either, control, but... either side of it when, yeah. when stuff gets leaked out. And, 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 and I would, I would agree that the police departments do, um, put out certain information. I think you may be referring to George Floyd when they talk about how he had ketamine and meth and all this other stuff in his system during I that. won't say the name only because it doesn't help, but no, I wasn't. I was actually talking about but, a different but that, case. But that's one <laughs> of the situations that I can yeah, think yeah, of yeah. that they were oh, doing yeah. that. But again, it's it's rebuttal to what's happening in, in the media. And so it's yep. this back and forth crap that happens mm-hmm. when both sides should just shut up and let the process go through and 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 see what the outcome is and don't pressure and again coming back to the pressuring the da's because when there's all this political stuff going on both sides the justice system gets skewed mm-hmm. so it just take a breath <laughs> yeah. and like, like i said i i think that the, there's a lot you and i won't solve it in this conversation it won't be solved no. in any individual conversation by any means uh but I, I just think that that's what a lot of the people want to see more of is either transparency and i here's the the big rub and we'll move on after this i we've spent an hour now talking about this obviously but uh one of the big things that is i'll use the financial sector because this doesn't this isn't a problem that's specific to policing it does happen in policing of course but it's not specific to policing the financial sector the people who run the fed almost 100 of the time have worked for banks and you're like well that's that's insider they shouldn't be doing that it's like all right so you want somebody who has no financial experience being in charge of the fed because if you don't, then you have to go to somebody who's worked at a bank. Because where else do you get that level of financial experience other than the uh, the people you're going to be overseeing? And so sure. that's the same thing you were kind of talking about when you're talking about the the people, say, again, I know this from cop shows, not from actual police officers, but uh, IA, you know, who may be investing a, a, investigating a police officer or any other type. They're going to, generally speaking, be speaking 
uh, either be current police officers or former police officers. Mm-hmm. Because like, at, to your point, they have to know what the hell they're doing. And how do they know what they're doing if they've never done it? But counter to that as well, now you have that go back to that thing was like, well, this is all the good old boys club. They're just going to watch each other's back and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. That's a situation, again, there's no immediate fix because like I, I just pointed out in the banking, uh, um, wow, I can't think of any words today, but banking example, you're going to need somebody from banking because they're the only ones who understand it. You're going to need sure. someone for policing because they're the only ones who understand it. And I think that's where you're going to have a challenge to really improve those things going forward because there's such a distrust of a lot of those systems that if the people who are in charge of those systems are from those systems, you're going to have a rub. Well, then if you go the complete, uh, stu- let's say stupid way, <laughs> where you have people who have never been involved in those systems, then they don't know what the hell they're doing. So how yeah. does that make it better? So where's the balance of the, those two? You know. Well, it makes me think about like the, you know, trying to create a new program or a new policy that like that it should be a merger of two, you know, mm-hmm. rather than having a complete civilian oversight group want to create policies for the police department because that's ridiculous, but that's happening. You yeah. know, let's, let's involve police and understand like, Hey, this is what we go through. These are the tactics. Like I'm, I'm all about having like civilian police academies where they come in and, and ride and learn. I've, I've been to about. one of those actually. They're great. They're amazing tools. I, I don't, man. And again, there's so many different tangents we could go off on. I, I don't know yeah. why they don't teach, in driver's ed, how to deal with a police officer, how to deal with getting pulled over. Mm-hmm. Like, why isn't that a standard, like, understanding? Like, don't be digging around in your glove box, regardless of your race. Race has nothing to do with it. Don't go digging around in your glove box while you're getting pulled over. Because an officer is going to go, maybe this person has a gun. Maybe they're grabbing a gun. Sit there, roll down your windows, and wait to be asked to, to grab something. You know, turn on the inside light if it's if it's at night. Why aren't those things happening? So there's a clear understanding on both sides of of it's almost like an etiquette, right? Of what should be taking place. You know, so it's I think it's uh, it should be merged together in a lot of those different type of programs because, like you said, yeah. It, it's a bad perception saying, oh, IA, well, they're just a, a cop too. Well, you look at a lot of departments and, you know, IA is frowned upon or it's like, why did you choose to go there? Some people were forced into the position, but there's always a weird disconnect for the mm-hmm. for the officers that end up in IA because it's like, oh, now, now you're the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. So it's, but, but civilians don't see that unless it's from like a, a TV show. When you, when, when IA shows up and it's like, oh, you, like <laughs> you're, you're the one that has it out for cops or whatever the case is. It's, if you did something wrong, you did something wrong, you know? Yeah. And if you didn't, then you didn't. So. And and so I think many. that's something, something you, you said there that I do think that helped some, uh, obviously we didn't, they didn't change the world uh, in a major way, but when the George Floyd situation came out, there were police officers who did speak out about that. They're like, yeah, that's heinous. That shouldn't have happened, so on and so forth. And I think sometimes that's what the public would see. But to your point, a lot of police officers, fellow police officers maintain uh, a level of silence with that. And sometimes that's something that is necessary. Sometimes it's, a, it's something that just makes the situation look worse from the, the public perspective. And I, like I said, none of this will be solved immediately. But these are the type of things that I think just more of these conversations need to continue to happen with people who actually know what the hell they're talking about, which is yourself, not not me. I'm not applying me on that. Uh, but people who know what they're talking about and then people who can it 
I don't want to say challenge, but aren't so either violently in disagreement with the idea of a, uh, of police ever having a reason to shoot somebody or at the same time, so much afraid of police that they aren't able to, you know, say, yeah, I don't agree with that and so on and so forth. So uh, sure. I think there's a lot, a lot of merit to what has been discussed here. And so pivoting back to the training point um, in your experience as a training officer, what has been the com- most common, I don't want to say misconception, but uh what have you had to correct the most often you think with some of your, your officers, again, not saying they're bad people, just saying they're inexperienced. Maybe they came into co- uh, policing thinking one thing and you're like, no, it's not like that. We need to do this. I don't know. I'm trying to think of the number one thing I've had to correct. Normally or one that sticks it, out. Normally it's just a lack of communication skills. Mm. Like people can't talk to somebody like it's go, just go talk to them. They're, they're, they're too nervous to, to have a conversation and, and figure out what's going on and just talk to them. Like, like a like a regular person um it's funny because people that have dealt with the police you know whether you get pulled over or maybe you're getting arrested they spot the new guy like instantly because like they're acting all robotic or they're saying certain things that you know maybe i wouldn't say it's or or just they're phrasing it in a certain ways so it's i don't know if there's a number one correction but it 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 comes down to the communication skills, being the, being able to talk to people. Mm-hmm. It has been the the number one factor that is a a low grade in, in most new officers. Yeah. Well, you, and to back to your point you brought up before, I just most new people uh, these days. I, I don't think communication skills are valued as highly as uh, they should be. Um, mm-hmm. My own communication skills, which again are mediocre at best most of the time, uh, were developed purposely. <laughs> Uh, I, I saw I saw communication as a way to communicate how intelligent you were, and I wanted to be viewed as intelligent. So I'm like, let me learn to speak. Then let me have sure. a diverse vocabulary and all that type of stuff. And I think back to your point, because we communicate so often in short form because of the digital mediums, that's kind of lost. And so I can only imagine. Uh, I trained some young troops when I was in the military and stuff like that, and I was like, Jesus, how, where did you people learn to talk? So I can only imagine for a job like yours where they actually have to deal with the public day in and day out in a, in a mm-hmm. different manner than, say, a McDonald's employee. Uh, the, I can't even imagine just how bad that must be at times. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you pointed out that those communication techniques are a skill, which mm-hmm. means that you can improve them. Yes. Because a lot of people go with the mindset of like, oh, I just don't know how to talk to people or I, I that's just not me. I'm standoffish, which is a load of crap because it is a skill set that you can learn how to improve your communication skills and listening skills. Um, because I, I teach those classes on, <laughs> on how to improve that. So it's uh, it's definitely a thing that, that people come in with this closed mindset about this is just the way I am. And, and that can go into a lot of different factors. But I, I just like that you pointed out how the communication is a, is a skill, which means yeah. that you can learn it and you can improve upon it. Yeah. And this is a shameless plug again for the book that I love. I've literally given this book out to people as gifts. Uh, I'm going to call her out again because I gave it to her like three years ago, my girlfriend to read and she still hasn't finished it. But uh, the the classic, How to Win Friends and Influence People, I think that's a, a huge one for just learning some not specific communication skills, but communication patterns, things to look at in conversations, the sure. way that you communicate with people and how to be viewed as a good conversationalist. So, so, so pivoting into that, what are some of the things that you teach in your training and uh, your, your business that you have about to communicate? I assume that, you know, having confidence comes from communication. So tell people what your, your business is called real quick. And then also just some of that, how that communication plays into that. So, yeah, so my business is called confidence unchained and 
it's interesting because I do get asked about confidence a lot and it's something that I do go into, but I don't believe that confidence is a skill. Mm-hmm. Confidence is something that is perceived by other people based on the actions that you take or the actions that you don't take. So confidence itself is not a skill set. You can't learn to be more confident. You can't say, I want to learn that skill because it goes into how you, your body posture, how you hold yourself, how you communicate. There's so many different factors, your eye contact. There's so many different factors that go into that to where we go. That's a confident person. Mm -hmm. Like, like, Hey, Brandon's over there. He's confident by the way that you hold yourself, by the way that you talk, by the things that you don't do. You know, if, if you and I are having a conversation and, you know, or maybe we're at the club and, and we're out there dancing with, with some girls and you're dancing, but you keep looking over your shoulder, who's watching me? Who's, am I doing a good job? Like, that's not a confident person. If you're constantly looking over your shoulder, checking out the crowd to see who's watching you because you think you're a bad dancer, that's not a confident person. Pay attention to what you're doing. Pay attention to the person you're talking with or dancing with, whatever that, that interaction that you're having. Um, so I, I do get asked a lot about confidence, but the, the number one skill that I do work on with, with my clients is emotional intelligence because that seems to be the area where most people are lacking. There, so there's three key areas that I focus on, which is mental toughness, your emotional fortitude, and your health awareness. So mental toughness goes in with, you know, being able to make good decisions, having that you know, self-motivation, the emotional fortitude. I define that as your ability to quickly recover from setbacks, disappointments, and failures. Mm-hmm. Okay? And that is 100% tied with your emotional intelligence and to your emotional vocabulary. And then also your health awareness, which is how much water are you drinking? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you working out on a regular basis? You know, are you putting your phone down before you go to bed, two hours before you go to bed? So those are the three areas. And, and we all tend to grow up with one strength, you know, and then maybe there's a second one that comes along. Probably the most prevalent person that I come across in my business are the unhealthy businessmen. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. They, they've got mental toughness. They've got, they get up at 5 a.m. every day and they're doing their job and, and they communicate with people. They have a decent level of emotional intelligence, maybe not super high, but it's, it's somewhat developed, but they're not healthy. They don't take care of themselves. They don't have time to go to the gym. You know, so that's that unhealthy businessman that is probably the most prevalent. Well, then you have the unemotional tough guy. You know, he, he's another one that's really motivated and he's out there doing the things he wants to do and he's in the gym every day, but he has no emotional awareness. So he's probably has crappy relationships. He's dating a new girl every three weeks and he just, he, he can't figure out what he's doing wrong. He just doesn't have that emotional awareness. Well then, and the third one is going to be your unmotivated yoga instructor. He's got the emotional side there and he's a healthy guy. He just can't seem to get his life straight and make good decisions and keep himself motivated. So there's, there's those three different like characters. And it's funny to think about that people fall into those, but to me, the biggest one to work on is, is your emotional intelligence Mm -hmm. because I've had people come to me to want to work on their business or be a better leader. And what ends up happening once they start working on those soft skills is they become a better father, they become a better spouse, 
you know, and, and we have a, have such an, an idea that life is segmented into different parts. Well, here's my business part. Here's my family part. Here's my friends part. It's all the same. Th those emotional intelligence skills, those communication skills transcend all aspects of your life. And, and I like that you brought that up because it, 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 there is a study out there. It talks about success is related to your EQ, not your IQ. Because mm -hmm. I know some really, really smart guys that don't do anything great because they, don't, they can't communicate. Mm -hmm. They can't communicate their ideas and, and, what, and, and have a normal conversation. But we all know those, those guys that maybe they, they barely graduated high school. They didn't go to college, but they're really witty and they could talk to everybody. Mm -hmm. They've got that emotional intelligence down. They can make a deal on the spot, but they didn't go to college. They're not super smart. They know how to work with people that are really smart. Like you said, mm -hmm. the presidents. <laughs> yeah. Which so. is it funny, funny to me that you mentioned it that way too, is because emotional intelligence, I think is something that is really starting to enter the lexicon of awareness. And it's really important that it does because yes. to your point, it's something you can focus on it is something you can, can get better on excuse me better at with courses like yours with with working with people like you who actually help people focus on that because we don't and every time and i'm sure everybody does this but every time you said one of those uh archetypes if you will uh of people you know the uh the unemotional tough guy and all this stuff i'm picturing people in my head that i know i'm like yeah that's sure. that's this person that's this person and everything so because yeah you could see those people everywhere uh um, so so what would be your number one tip for free uh then when they get the rest of it for actually hitting you up on you know, the, the links and the comments and everything um but what would be one of the number one tips you would give somebody to try to develop their emotional intelligence or get better at their emotional intelligence so i'll actually i'll, I'll share it with your audience so if you if you go to my website confidenceunchained.com you scroll down to the bottom, um, you'll be able to download the emotional matrix. This is the number one tool that I give to all of my clients. I, I, I pass it out to as many people as I can. If you type in the code confidence one, so confidence number one, you can get it for free. And this tool is an emotional vocabulary tool. Mm -hmm. okay? And when you use it, it's based off the seven universal emotions that Dr. Ekman talks about, Dr. Paul Ekman. Um, and it goes into micro expression. So it's, it's happiness, sadness, fear, contempt, disgust, uh, surprise, and anger. Those are the seven universal emotions that we all express on our face everywhere in, in the world, race, gender, creed, culture, everybody does it. Mm -hmm. So those are the umbrella emotions. And we experience those emotions in three different intensity levels. We can say high, medium, or low. So you can think about high level anger, you're agitated or moderate level anger, maybe you're mad, or mm -hmm. low level anger, you're bothered. Okay, and you can do that for all seven of those umbrella emotions. And there's numerous emotional words. And it's very, very important to get real specific on the emotions that you get. So I, I know it's a super long answer. But really establishing your emotional vocabulary is the number one key to creating a better emotional awareness and emotional intelligence so you can process out those emotions rather than carrying them around with you all day long. If you've got a bad meeting at 8 a.m., are you going to still be carrying that when you get home to your wife and take it out on her at 6 o'clock at night? I hope not. Mm -hmm. But this is a tool to be able to process out those emotions so you don't have to carry them around with you all day. And I think it's an important tool to have because 
life is always going to happen to you and for you at different points, you know? And so when it happens to you, if you can't deal with that, then it's not going to switch back over to happening for you to at any time soon. So like you said, if something bad happens at 8 a.m. and you're having a bad day at 6, that's not that bad thing's fault. Unless that bad thing was you lost a leg or something like that. Obviously, it may take sure. more than a day to adjust. But uh, generally speaking, it's going to be somebody cuts you off in traffic, you you spilled your coffee, whatever the nonsense is, right? And then people can let that spin them out into a whole other thing. And I think that goes back to what you're talking about, learning to deal with that, learning to be emotionally aware. Because one of my big principles of emotional intelligence is your own emotions. It's not just other people, because if I don't know myself, it doesn't matter what the other person is doing. I have well, to know who I am. Yeah, yeah, that's the first step in emotional intelligence is understanding your own emotions before you can understand someone else's. Yeah. And that's that's coming from somebody who uh, is pretty Irish. You know, like my my uh, white side is Irish and stuff like that. And Irish don't do emotions so well. <laughs> so so but it, it's, I think that's where we have to get to it, too. And with the, the idea and it's funny, to, we have two guys here. Uh, who have backgrounds in what are all otherwise seen as hyper-masculine professions, policing and yeah. military, right? And we're sitting here talking about emotional intelligence. That lets you know how far the world has come, that that's where we are. <laughs> yeah. So when I get up in front of a group of men, it's normally 90% men. And I was like, hey, guys, today we're going to talk about emotions. They they look at me like I've got another head on my shoulder. And they're like, hey, buddy, <laughs> you're in the wrong room. That That one's next door. We don't talk about emotions here. But luckily, I get a little bit of street cred being, you know, former SWAT guy, being a detective, being a big guy. And I'm like, hey, if I can talk about emotions, then all of you guys can talk about emotions. So um, I wish I had these tools years ago. It would, it would have saved me would have saved me a lot of grief over the years and and misunderstanding how emotions actually work. And see, my my. Uh... So I, I've done martial arts uh, off and on for, you know, past like 11 years, whatever it is. Uh, real martial arts, by the way, not that uh, <laughs> I almost took shots at traditional martial arts. I won't do that. I want to start any fights right now. But anyways, <laughs> my 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 first uh, striking coach who, who coached me through both of my Muay Thai fights uh, was a SWAT guy, SWAT guy, former Marine and all this stuff. And interestingly, he has a, a system built around psychology and everything like that, too, that he mm -hmm. taught to to us when he was training us for fights. So it's it's funny to me that, again, going back to that, the guys who are who are SWAT, who have these street cred uh, type uh, backgrounds are the ones who are starting to see, hey, man, you know what helps with being able to do this type of stuff? Emotions, yeah. <laughs> psychology, understanding <laughs> things like that. So I, I love it. I'm all for it, man, because my my thing is this. I don't want, ever want to be a complete softy. I don't ever want to be a complete uh, hard ass either. Sure. The reality of who I want to be and the reality I think of who people should be is somewhere in the middle. I don't want to break down because I, I can't uh, change my car tire. But at the same time, I don't want to s never be able to watch a rom-com and understand what's happening. Sure, sure. <laughs> so, I like that, so, Brandon. Yeah, so I'll make sure that I put your that code down in the uh, comments. But you can say it one more time for me so how people can get that uh, free off of your website. Yeah, it's uh, so it's at confidenceunchained.com. And you scroll down on the bottom, you can download the emotional matrix if you type in the code confidence one so confidence in number the number one and uh also as for another shameless pl plug brandon i've got a, a virtual summit coming up at the end of february a lot of amazing men that that are getting interviewed and we're going all over all of these aspects whether it's health emotional fortitude mental toughness it's successful business owners and entrepreneurs from from all different walks of life and we're putting them together in one event and, uh, and that's going to be amazing. That's going to be at summit.confidenceunchained.com. So I, I'm, I'm super excited about that. And I will definitely send it your way, Brandon, so you can enjoy all the great conversations because I think you would get a, a lot out of that as well, man. 
Uh, outstanding. Yeah, I love to, um, as you said before, Monday morning quarterback and just sit there and tell all the people who were at the summit what they did wrong, because <laughs> that's yeah. always more fun than actually doing it yourself. Right. No, no, I, I appreciate that. that. That sounds like an amazing event. I'm always one of the things that I've I've found is that anytime you get a lot of, let's say, positive, chaotic energy and, and together, good things happen. Sure. Good things always happen because from that summit, you're talking about getting all those people who are successful together. That makes other people successful. It gives you the energy to try to do something that you're trying, uh, you actually want to go out and do and make the world a better place. So I think those type of things are quite often looked down upon. That's where real change can actually spark. That's where real change can happen. There's a reason that Tony Robbins is ridiculously rich and then, you know, that's kind of, he's one of the forefathers of those type of events. Uh, so I, I'm all for it, and I, I'm going to make sure that this episode airs not too long before that so we can get people excited and hopefully get some good turnout for that. And I'm looking Perfect. forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm excited. Thank you so much for having me on here, Brandon. I, I enjoyed the talk. You know, we, we didn't get at each, uh, at each other's throats like you said we might, but no. Well, <laughs> my, my, man. my getting at your throat is in the mail. Since you're in Texas, <laughs> it's going to take a little while to get there. So just let that delay reaction happen. But no, got like it, I said, so let me let me go there too before to pivot back uh, as we close this up. I appreciate your openness. I appreciate your candor. I appreciate you also being able to have that conversation with uh, um, a civilian who has limited to no knowledge of what police actually go through and being able to uh, just have that. Because like I, I told you before we started, there's going to be some things we disagree on but i want to be reasonable about it and i appreciate you just being open to that um and i'm very excited that you're able to take your experience in those stressful situations and create a program that helps other people who aren't even in those situations get better so it's like they get 20 years or i don't want to age you but how many years of experience you have from policing without actually having to get into those fights from a guy who's hiding underneath the car <laughs> so you know what i mean yeah exactly yeah that, that that's that's the idea share it with as many people as possible no, absolutely. Pay it forward. You want other people to learn from your mistakes so they don't uh, they don't have to go through them themselves. I get it. Exactly. So awesome. Well, again, thank you very much for joining me. And uh, I will make sure that I get everybody the information about the summit. And I look forward to it here in the next coming days when this airs. Awesome, man. Thank you so much, Brandon. All right. Take care. Thanks for checking out this episode of Starting Nowhere. Join us on our Facebook page and let me know your thoughts on this or other episodes. And you can also catch all the links to previous episodes.